So this text is, a, is very short text, it's about abiding, moving, and awareness. It means the resting mind, the moving mind, and awareness. It's a text which is, um, or if you wish, a technique or an approach which is usually practiced in um, Nyingmapa and also Kagyupa tradition to uh, get to understand uh, deeply the nature of the mind. So the first evening I spoke about the view, which was quite um, complex maybe, and explaining that in the Dzogchen tradition, one starts uh, by seeing that there is nothing to reach and nothing to do. Then still we are practicing and uh, we've been doing that for a few days and this text is also explaining, giving in guidelines on how to practice. So how that fits together, you know, on one sense, Dzogchen tradition starts by saying, you know, nothing to do and everything is done already. And then we get a guideline how to practice. So there's two different approaches. One is uh, believing that there is something to do and one will go step by step and at the end what one would understand that actually nothing did really exist neither the concentration all those aspects actually never exist at any time but one would discover that at the end it's like at the end you discover the, the cards you know you put them on the table while in Dzogchen tradition, it's reverse. First they put the cards on the table, so that's what the situation. But we may not understand that just by seeing those, those cards, you know. They say sometimes some people just got it on hearing the view, and for them it's obvious. So, no problem, they can go home. You know? But for those, like myself, who did not get it, this way and so clear, so then we start to practice. But it's interesting to see the attitude of the reverse attitude that in the Dzogchen tradition and in some other, I think maybe some Zen approach will be also the same. So now we get down to some practical uh, explanation. So the resting mind, moving mind, and awareness. First, and as any text, is starting by paying homage to the Lama. So in the Tibetan tradition and Tantric tradition, that um, plays a very important role. And there is something of a godlike uh, with respect to the Lama. And sometimes I had to read, you know, some texts from the Christian mysticism to get rid of the godlike ideas in Buddhism. And I think that's quite interesting, you know. You read uh, Master Eckhart and you feel that his God is taking so many things away that nothing much is left. And then you read some uh, text, Buddhist text, and so much is given in some place, you, you find that, well, that's really like uh, giving so much power and uh, taking something out of this beautiful attitude uh, which is expressed when the Buddha said just before dying, be a light unto yourself. So we have to try to understand how that fit together so, the Lama in Tibetan tradition is a uh, um, great teacher transmitting the teaching which is seen outside and has to be seen uh, as being a Buddha, a pure Buddha and perfect Buddha. So that's, uh, that's how it is expressed and they express it 
that if you see him as a normal being, you get only the blessing of a normal being. If you see him as a Buddha, you get the blessing of a Buddha. So it is interesting because we see the play of projection there. They express that very clearly. They say it depends the way you look. It doesn't depend the way he is, you know. But that one aspect of it, and the second aspect is that finally the Lama will be incorporated within oneself. And then one will see that there is no distinction, there is no difference. So the ultimate Lama finally is our um, mind in its pure essence. That's really the ultimate Lama. And I think that's an important aspect. And if one were just uh, getting stuck with this uh, image that uh, we can find in some text of the external Lama and the devotion one may have, which is important or may be important, and forgetting also the other aspect that the ultimate Lama is one own mind, then there is something that we are just creating a dependency and not a freedom. So I think it's very important. So because we have the pure nature of our mind, our true essence, because it is our essence and our nature, then, of course, we can practice and maybe awaken to that. So it is already there. So that's why any reflection, any meditation may be useful, because it's not something that we have to look outside. You know, we get some kind of pure nature of the mind from somewhere and put it inside of ourselves. And maybe, you now there is a shortage of this, so well, it's bad, maybe tomorrow, you know. It's not that way. It's always within ourselves. So there is no way that uh, something will be lacking. Now it's up to us to discover that. So let's see Omet Shuzolama in the ultimate sense of the true nature of our mind and respecting that very much. So you'll see it's quite uh, precise. So he says, now that we are alive, the body, the speech, and the mind exist together. They are existing together. So what do we, what do we call the body? The, the head, in eyes, nose, ears, tongue, and the feet and hands, flesh and blood. That's what is called the body. So we have not learned too much uh, so far. What do we call the mind? That which knows when the eyes see something that it is nice or not. When hearing a sound, that which knows it to be agreeable or disagreeable. When the nose smells something, it knows it to be good or bad. When the tongue is tasting a taste, it knows it to be sweet or not sweet. When the body feels a sensation, it knows it to be smooth or rough. So this element of, in our experience of knowing when we are walking in the afternoon or touching this element just of the sensation that the mind that what knows temperature of our hand or your feet on, on, on the floor so that's the mind so here we got the five senses and that knows the quality when someone dies and the mind has gone on the in-between in the in-between meaning between death and a new life. So there is a time for the tantric tradition where, which may last up to 49 days where the mind, the stream of consciousness is just, um, let's say, going through some kind of experiences and those experiences, they are linked to what 
uh, which type of life we had before. If we had a very agitated life and uh, very um, violent, for example, we may be in uh, in between what what is called the bardo in a dream state. It's like a dream state, but very uh, dramatic. That what may be the experience. Now, if we had a peaceful life like we have here, you know, then um, or we may have here, then um, this time in between will be much more peaceful. And that's very important because the type of rebirth we're going to take depends on the state of mind in the in between. So if it is rather a violent state of mind and with quite a dramatic experiences, then the danger that we may take uh, a new birth in difficult situations may be there. Now if we have a very peaceful state of mind, the type of dream we'll have will be much more peaceful and then uh, our next rebirth may be much more peaceful. So it is said in the Buddhist tradition is very important when somebody is about to die then to uh, make a very peaceful uh, surrounding. Not, you know, to to cry, for example, and bring all those people who have many reasons to cry and, and uh, to show their sadness that this person living may feel, oh, you know, how can I leave, how can I go, and I leave all those people, they're so sad, and this person will uh, die finally in a very difficult state of mind. But rather being reassuring, you know, I mean, that's fine, everybody has to die, and you go first, you know. <laughs> so, all the strong emotion that one may bring into at this time uh, is not uh, so useful the person dying. With respect to uh, a future birth, if that does exist. So when the body has become a corpse, the eyes do not see, the ears do not hear. Is it? The body and mind being separated, the speech also has disappeared. Now the body and the speech, they are like the servant of the mind. But it is a mind that wanders in samsara, in the cycle of different births. It is a mind that reaches nirvana. Concerning the mind, there is a mind, which is called a same, and the mind essence, same me. The essence of the mind is like an ocean, whereas the mind is like the waves. Without meditating on the mind essence, it cannot be known. The mind be careful if we speak of mind essence or mind nature, mind nature or the mind. And um, the Tibetan are quite precise, yet sometimes they, are, uh, they don't really uh, place this uh, smaller uh, name after that, that we know if we are speaking in the ultimate sense or not. And uh, I will show you there is one place where there is, they may bring some confusion, so we have to be very careful. In the Tibetan tradition, they have, in a sense, the same problem that we may have in English or in any other um, Western language, that the language is in the field of grasping and not of ultimate truth. So when it is expressed suddenly, if one is not aware, one will just fall always into the habit of, uh, of the grasping mind. So the mind is what sees form, what hears sounds. Now we get to even not appreciating it is to be nice or not nice, just the seeing or the sound, like we were hearing. 
When the mind thinks many thoughts, it is called moving, a moving mind. When it does not think, it is called abiding. And what knows if the mind is moving or abiding? It is awareness. So we have different aspects, a moving mind, a quiet mind, and the knowing of those two aspects, which is called awareness. So here the term, Tibetan term used is Rigpa, and I will come on that term later. If awareness looks at the moving or the abiding mind, it does not find any shape or any color. If awareness will just be aware of what is really this moving mind or this abiding mind, it does not find any shape, any color, any kind of characteristic that can uh, be called belonging to the mind. So it is empty, yet it knows everything and that it is clarity aspect. So when in those texts we speak about clarity, it always means this aspect of the mind that can know. The knowing aspect of the mind is not some kind of light uh, and that would need some consciousness to know what this light is lightening. You know? So clarity here just means the capacity to know, this power of knowing. But the emptiness and the clarity are not separated. Being clear, it is empty, and being empty, it is clear. So the mind knows, but it's empty of real nature. It's empty, yet it knows. And this uh, unity of these two aspects is something very important. They say, is like, uh, to give an example, is like um, both sides of the hand. You can't have one without the other. So it's not that clarity will be here and, and emptiness will be here. I mean, they just exist, are existing together. So this mind is empty, yet it knows. So this emptiness, which is the nature of the mind, is there, but it knows. And it is empty. First, relying, relying on reading, we meditate on the moving, abiding, and awareness mind. And we meditate on the inseparability of clarity and emptiness. With the help of this meditation, our mind needs to get some experience. Acquiring such an experience, our understanding will start to grow. If we keep on developing this experience, our understanding will become vaster. So just abiding in that, when the mind is moving, resting, and just being aware of that, in the awareness of that. The beginners usually prefer the abiding aspect to the moving or awareness aspect. Well, most of us know that aspect of uh, preferring a, a quiet mind than a moving mind. They see the moving mind as a defect in meditation, a mistake. Meditation is not going on well because there are so many thoughts. However, if one does not get caught in the moving thoughts, it is not a defect of meditation. One may get caught following one thought after another, is when one gets into the storyline of the thoughts. You know, if I do that, now I should do this and I go there, then of course one is just in the, in the line and caught in that 
and one is even not aware that uh, one is thinking so one is even not aware of the moving mind one is just aware of that aspect and that I should go there and take a very simple story I should do this shopping before this one for example so what I'm aware is that this shopping come first and this one second but not that I am thinking now if I am aware that I am in the moving mind aware that I am thinking then at this time I will not be so much in the storyline and I think in our practice quite often there is this kind of different interest we may have either we have interest like in daily life usually in the contents of our story which is a quite strong habit or um, more subtle interest in what's happening there so what's happening there there are thoughts the moving mind so in the awareness of that and then they lose their power of fascination and then we are not uh, caught in that and then maybe if for some reason something is going on then it has no power it is not a defect of meditation at this time because we are not following one thought after another so if one recognizes the first thought so as being a thought it will dissolve by itself and not being confusing when one recognizes the clear and empty nature of the three aspects moving, abiding and awareness mixed together so not, uh, not seeing the mind in different moments or different aspects that there is a moving mind, there is a quiet mind and there is awareness so if one sees the empty it's very technical and very precise there if one sees the empty and clear meaning the knowing aspect of those three together when they are mixed together then one sees the essence of the mind one sees the essence of the mind the true nature of the mind so seeing the essence of the mind is to realize its clarity and its emptiness joined together between the clarity and emptiness of the moving, abiding and awareness mind and the clarity and emptiness of the nature of the mind there is a difference I'm going to read it slowly because <laughs> I had to read it quite a few times to understand what was meant there so I'll tell you what is the difference and then we'll come back to that so the difference is in vastness and the difference is in whether there is grasping or no grasping so now if in our practice we would see the clarity and empty nature of just the abiding mind or the moving mind or the awareness it is different than if we realize the nature of this mind which is and not differentiated either moving, resting or awareness so if we see that in a fragmented way then seeing the uh, empty and um, clear nature of moving mind abiding mind or awareness is different than if we see just the essence of the mind not making any separation between moving, arising um, moving, abiding and awareness in this sense then it means that for in our meditation the mind moving, abiding or awareness that will not make the smallest difference 
but if for us there is some difference and then we may see the empty and the clarity of the abiding mind, for example, and at other time of the resting of the moving mind, it has not the same power, not the same vastness, because there may be some grasping. And all the point in this meditation, like in all Buddhist meditation, is to come down to non-grasping. So that's really uh, what brings freedom, is a non-grasping. So, in some tradition, we observe so precisely the different experiences, like, um, or the contents, if you, if you wish, like, for example, the, the changing nature of some sensation, you know, like I may have in my knee, and then being so precise, I would see that it's changing, changing so fast, and that finally, that it has no real existence because it changed too fast. Then the mind, seeing that, drops it. What can I grasp? Nothing I can grasp. So seeing that in many different experiences, the mind just give up, you know. What, what to grasp there? There we work in a slightly different way. It is on the mind itself. Seeing the quality of the mind of grasping and non-grasping. And not so much that the object cannot be grasped because there is nothing to be grasped there. So there is a slight difference with respect uh, to the approach. Uh, uh, don't speak uh, about differences in the result, but just in the favor of the practice. So, getting to the, to the mind, to the mind nature. So, there the text says there's a difference if one sees the three together. It means they don't make any difference when there is abiding, moving, and awareness. When that is not seen as any three different aspects. And when see the empty and clear aspect of that, is there is a difference in vastness than when we see abiding, moving, and, and uh, awareness, and then we see the empty and clarity in that. Well, maybe it's not such a great practical concern just right now, but uh, um, it may appear in our practice that we may cling to differences in abiding and moving and awareness. You know. No, I don't want a, a moving, I want abiding, I want a resting mind, not a moving mind. Well, the nature is not different. The nature of the mind is not different. I'll come back to that aspect also. So to the nature of the mind, so again we are in this same need, to the nature of the mind, the moving, the abiding, and the awareness mind is like earth covering a grain of rice. Moving, abiding, and awareness is like earth covering the grain of rice. If we get rid of the earth, the grain of rice will be uncovered. And that is taken as an example of the nature of the mind appearing clearly. So the rest, even an, an abiding mind, which means that will be vast, and there will be, of course, no thoughts, or no form, no, no aspect of that, then, if we are clinging to that, you know, oh, that's, that's the mind, then this clinging is like the ask. So any kind of conclusion that we may get about our experience will always be covering. That's it. That will be covering. Because there is a clinging and a grasping. So this covering may be quite, uh, let's say, in a sense, 
in a formal sense similar because if the uh, unmoving mind is vast and has no form, you know, so it's not that it's covered by a red or by blue that we recognize immediately, or that the cover, you know, I get, a, I don't want any color. So the abiding mind, very quiet and, and uh, formless, the way to see that it cover is not some form, uh, formal element, is a grasping. That's a difference, very subtle difference. And how can we know there is grasping or no grasping? Because it, they don't maybe are very different in aspects. Just an empty mind. My sense is that if in the experience one may have of the mind, what could say it does exist, then there is a grasping. One, can, one could make any statement about it. It does exist. It's empty, it's clear, it's whatever. One story will tell, yet one sees it as existing. Then there is a grasping. When there is no grasping, it does not make sense to say existing or not existing. It just does not make sense. It's like if you speak about the, the color of some sounds, for example. I know some people can do, but just to see that we apply some elements which do not apply to that. So the, the existing or non-existing aspect to the true nature of the mind does not make sense. Then if in our experience we say, oh yes, now I see the mind, or the nature of the mind, and yes, it's like that, or it does exist, even when this like that is not uh, colorful or nothing, then one should relax the mind. There is some slight element of grasping there. And I should say sometimes examples are given about the nature of the mind, which I wonder a little bit if they are very skillful. It is said that it's like the sky. In many texts, I just was reading before coming down three line given by a, um, a lama in an oral teaching written down, and, and I was amazed. He said, the mind cannot be illustrated. It is beyond words, beyond concept, like the sky. So it's fantastic. He starts to say it, is <coughs> it cannot be illustrated, and then he says like the sky. And there is some element which is, for me, a little bit misleading, because then one imagines that there is something it's similar to. And the sky is obviously something existing for us. So, very nice to say, it cannot be illustrated like the sky. And I should say that's um, something to be aware of that. And Dzogchen um, may sometimes be appealing to us as practitioners because it's, you know, it's described as vast, it's very vast, like the sky, so we may open and look at the sky and feel you know, I'm getting somewhere, because suddenly, before in my practice was narrow, and now it's so vast, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, progressing. But if this vastness is like the sky, and is a just a perception, either visual perception or mental perception of something vast, it's not something deeper than a sensation. It's just another experience, and we are not closer to the truth. The problem is that we may be misled and believe that now I am getting somewhere. Uh, because it's vast, and sometimes it feels good, it's true, it feels a bit better than to feel restricted and narrow. Yet it has some element for me that I think it's a little bit dangerous, because then one may not be aware 
that one is not getting if we are getting someone that one is not uh, for that respect not closer to any uh, true aspect of our nature of the mind than if one is really with the sensation so I think it's an important aspect So any grasping will be like us covering the true nature of the mind. So any statement that one would make, or one could make, doesn't mean that we make statement. But afterward you could, or just at the end of your sitting, if it's very quiet and you feel that that's it, you may wonder, what could I say about it? And if you could say, that's existing, and that's nature of the mind, it's vast, and, and then uh, there is something maybe yet of grasping there. To realize the non-duality of the moving and the resting mind and the union of clarity and emptiness, that is the point of the practitioner of Mahamudra. So in Mahamudra tradition, in Kagyupa tradition, it is expressed this way, to realize the non-duality of the moving and resting mind. There is no difference. They are in their empty, being empty and, and clear. And the union of clarity and emptiness that they are not differentiated and no way one can separate them now the practitioner of the great perfection realize the difference so not the non-difference but the difference between mind and mind essence is how it's expressed well here it's used rikpa and awareness again so before it was said that rikpa is covering the mind essence and now that's what we should realize. So, just to point out that sometimes, also in Tibetan tradition, one is, one is using the, 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 the word, and one is not always putting, be careful, here is essence, and here we are just speaking in general sense. So, in the Dzogchen tradition, one realizes the difference between mind and mind essence, or mind and awareness, you can put in this sense. So, what is the main difference between mind and mind essence. What is the mind difference that we may realize? Is a mind with grasping and a mind without grasping. The mind is grasping to whatever subtle aspect, then is still the mind, then is still what for us is expressed as our conditioned uh, state. And when the mind has no grasping, so that is the mind essence there, and that experience has been conditioned. So the conditioning is clearly the grasping mind. Grasping makes the, condi- make the conditioning. So it's very technical, but I thought at least to put all those things once clearly, and maybe we'll write that down so that, that you can read it slowly. I will just. Uh, read a few lines of a practical text taught by Patrul Rinpoche, which is called The Self-Liberated Mind. And it's a very practical uh, text about meditation. He said, don't try to place your mind inwardly. Don't try to observe an object outwardly. Rest in the observer, the thinker, mind itself, without fabrication. You don't need to search for the mind. It is a searcher himself. 
So what does it mean practically? When we are observing, are thinking, are trying to find out. So if we are just being that looker, observer, thinker, just resting in that, being that, resting in being that is not a rester in a resting place, then we start to break that apart. Just being that, in the beingness of that, in that simplicity, then you're there. Not something to grasp. It's that simplicity. not looking for anything special. If our aim may be to have a mind which is not conditioned, which is unconditioned, and then we start by sitting, but conditioning our being here with different experiences. I will be present for clarity, for absence of thought, but not for thought, not for emotion. So, what are we doing? We are practicing conditioning mind, pretending that what we are interested actually is a non-conditioned mind. Does it make sense? So, our conditioning, our conditioned mind, I think, for sometimes, maybe, let not listen to that. No. And I will be present in an unconditioned way. Being the thinker, being the emotional, the one who feels sad if sadness is arising. And not really wanting to be here when sadness will not be here. Or then we are just conditioning, you know. So just let's sit for a few minutes and have the time to experience that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.